Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? Hey, it's good to see you here. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five and say, I am so glad you're here today, huh? Good to see you. Pastor Greg and I are starting a new series. It's uh, only three weeks long, two weeks of teaching and one week of actually going out and doing something physically with what we're talking about in this series. Before I get into that, let me give you just a little bit of glimpse of what's coming up this fall. This fall, I'm going to be doing a series called The Grave Robber, and it's based on the miracles of Jesus in the book of John. All of our life groups are going to be uh, following along in the series as we do this. My heart and my vision is that every adult uh, in this church would get involved in a life-giving community. And what we do to make that possible is to provide what we call life groups. And so we want to see every adult involved in a life group this fall season as we go through this series. Now, in order to make space for everyone, I need to have more leaders, okay? We've got to have more leaders if this is going to happen. We need more people who will facilitate one of these, these life groups. Now, you might be thinking, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the time. I don't have the ability. I may not have all the answers. Listen, we'll help you with that. If you'll say, I'll provide a space. It could be your home. It could be, I don't know, a coffee shop or something, but I'll find a space and provide that. We'll provide you with the tools that you'll need in order to pull off a life group. And so I want to challenge you. For some of you, um, who've already led life groups, I want to say thank you. You mean so much to this church in providing these opportunities for our people. For those of you who uh, have not yet facilitated a life group, let me encourage you to step out. Take a step of faith. For some of you, this could be the biggest step of faith that you've taken in a long time. And uh, you've got a whole group of people who are behind you or are helping you, and so you can do this. Okay, I want you to just turn to your neighbor right now and say, you can do this. You can do this. Turn to somebody. Tell them you can do this. All right? All right. Now, if you'll take your connection card, just put your name on the front of it. You'll find a place on that connection card where you can indicate your desire to facilitate a life group this fall season, and it's going to be a great, great season together. Today, I'm honored to be able to share the stage with Pastor Greg. Pastor Greg oversees our global missions and our local outreach, and so we're starting this series where we're talking about serving this week, we're talking about serving globally. Next week, we're going to be talking about serving locally. And then on the 30th, we're going to all go over into, into Rockwood and serve together in a, in a fantastic way. Every once in a while, people will come to me or they'll send me a note and they'll say, why is Abundant Life uh, so concerned about global missions? Why do we put so much emphasis on global missions? And the reality is we do. I, and for some of you who are new to Abundant Life, you may not realize the extent to which we go in order to reach people around the world. Just to give you a glimpse, I have a map of the world that will come up here. We have missions that go into Alaska, then we drop all the way down to Texas. Oh, no, no, that's, that's Mexico there. And, uh, and then we get a slot over to Haiti, then we drop south down into Ecuador. It's one of our newer mission fields. Then you cross the pond over into uh, Italy, you see up there. Then we come across down to Uganda, and then we go to um, uh, India. And then we have Cambodia and uh, Indonesia, and then, uh, and then one more, Japan. 
And you can see, yeah, just come on, give it up. Yeah, give it up. for It's just amazing. I just, I love the thought that when Abundant Life started as a little tiny group of people, 50 people, now that our ministry has spread to that extent. And so today we want to talk about why do we do this? And how can you be involved in this whole process? When I ask the question, you know, why do we do this? Uh, many times there's a question behind the question. And the question behind the question is this, aren't there enough needs right here locally that we could just put all of our emphasis and all of our resources right here? And the short answer to that question is yes, there are. There's so many needs right here locally. We could spend all of our time, all of our energy, all of our resources right here and, and, and still not meet all of the needs. But what you have to understand is a little bit about me. My heart and my passion, my spiritual upbringing and my training have all placed in me a heart for global missions. And so way back when Abundant Life started, we started out supporting people in Indonesia and people in India. That's just been a part of, of my heart. But really, my heart and my passion has nothing to do with it. What really is important is what's God's heart. What is his passion? And so if you were to go to the book of Acts, which I encourage you to do, maybe sometime this week, go to the book of Acts in the New Testament. It's uh, re technically referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. We call it the book of Acts. Technically and specifically, it's, it's the continuing work of Jesus through his disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's way too long of a title for a book. That sounds like a dissertation. So we'll stick with the book of Acts, okay, or just Acts. And if you go to the book of Acts, and in chapter 1, you'll find the setting there is Jesus has just resurrected from the grave. He's about ready to ascend back into heaven, and all of his disciples are around him. And it's in this scene that Jesus now speaks what are his last words to his disciples. And you know that last words are very, very important words, aren't they? And so just before he leaves, it's interesting that what Jesus talks about is his mission. You could sum up what he talked about in one word, and that would be the word mission. Because I think Jesus understood that as fallible human beings, it's so easy for us to get off mission, for there to be mission drift. I remember several years ago, there was a, a new church built in our city. And I stopped by just to look at this church building, wanted to kind of check it out. I remember my wife was with me, and there was a guy giving us a tour. And I'll never forget what he said. He says, now that we've built this new building, my only concern is we're going to have a bunch of new people showing up here. And, you know, I didn't say anything, but I thought to myself, I think it, it seems to me that, that he at least has lost sight of the mission. I don't know if he was speaking for the whole church or not, but it just seemed from his heart he had lost sight of the mission. I don't want this church to lose sight of, of the mission. And so before we go too far in answering this question, why we're so concerned about global missions, let's answer another question. Why specifically did Jesus come to this earth? What was his mission when he came to this earth? As you've noticed already, I've given you a lot of scripture that I want you to see and have reference for. I'm just going to read about five of these. This is why Jesus came. Luke chapter 19, the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. John chapter 18, he says, I came to bring truth to the world. Excuse me, I lose my voice. 
<clears throat> I don't know whose water this is, but I'm going to drink it. <clears throat> <clears throat> Testing one, two, hang on, it's still not there. Greg, have you looked at my notes? Okay, John, here we go. John 18, I came to bring truth to the world. All those who love truth are my followers. John chapter 10. This, by the way, is the verse from which we get the name of our church. I came that they might have life and have it more. What's that word? Abundantly. John chapter 12, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer wander in the darkness. Luke chapter 4. I must preach the good news of the, of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And so you can easily see that the reason Jesus came, his mission was to seek and to save lost people, to expand his kingdom. Now, you might be thinking, okay, what does this have to do with me? What this has to do with you is this. The moment you became a follower of Jesus Christ, then his mission becomes your mission. And they are intertwined with one another. Your mission becomes his mission. His mission is your mission. It's the highest calling for, of your life. And so if you, if you want to be like Jesus, then you determine today that whatever his mission was, that's going to be my mission. Because that was what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. He says, in the same way that you have given me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. That's, that's what he wanted. You see, when Jesus was here in his physical body, any work that the Father accomplished on earth, he did through Jesus and his physical body. Well, now Jesus is not here on this earth physically but he's here spiritually, and he has a spiritual body on this earth. Does anybody want to take a guess as to what his spiritual body is today on this earth? What is it? It's the church. The church is the spiritual body of Jesus. So wherever you have the church that's meeting, okay, people who believe and follow Jesus Christ as Lord, that's his body on this earth, and we are called to carry out the mission that he began when he was here physically. And so you know as well as I do, whenever you want to stress something that's very important, you say it over and over again, right? I mean, how many of you have raised children? How many of you have ever said to your kids, don't make me say that again? Okay, but you know, as a parent, you do. You say it over and over because it's very important. Well, when Jesus gave what is referred to as the Great Commission, it's actually, it appears five times in the New Testament. Most people think it's only one time. Matthew, that's the most popular one. But Matthew records it, Mark records it, Luke records it, and John records it. And then again in Acts chapter 1, Jesus speaks it again. Why? Because it's so important. It's his mission. It's, it's the last thing he said to us before he left. I want you to read with me these five commissions that Jesus has given to us. Matthew chapter 28, let's read this together. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. That's the most popular one there in Matthew. Mark chapter 16. 
Let's read this one. You are to go into all of the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere. You just don't get a whole lot clearer than that. Luke chapter 24, let's read this. With my authority, take this message of repentance to all of the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who turn to me. John chapter 20, let's read this one. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Again, you just don't get a whole lot clearer than that. Acts chapter 1, and this is we're going to kind of focus on this one just a little bit. Let's read it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Every so often people will ask me, George, Oh, they'll send me a note. Why don't you preach on the end time? I wish you would do a message on the end time and on current events. If I were to ask for a show of hands here today, how many of you would like for me to do that? There'd be a bunch of hands to go up here. Honestly, I don't, I just don't make it, uh, it's not important important for me to preach on the end times. There's lots of views pertaining to the end time. And, and I don't say this to be mean or rude, and I'm not trying to be funny, but I could give you my end time message in basically four points, okay? So if, here's my end time sermon, and I will give it to you probably in about 15 seconds, if I can remember it, how it goes. First off, Jesus is returning. Point two, we don't know when. Point number three, be ready. Point number four, tell as many people as you possibly can before he comes back. Okay, that's it. That's right. That's my end time sermon. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Which this concerns me a bit because that's the shortest sermon I've ever preached. And I I rarely get a hand clap for sermon. What is up with that, Greg? I'm not sure how to even take that. But anyway, that's the sermon right there. Now, even the disciples, they asked the same question. They said, Lord, because he says, I'm leaving and, and all this. And he says, oh, and then he says, I'm going to come back. The angel said, he's coming back the same way we turned and all this. And, and, and so they're wondering, Lord, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom? When are you coming back? When's this going to happen? And Jesus, is, it's really interesting the way Jesus answered. He says, it's not for you to know the time. It's not for you to know the time and the dates that the Father has set. And then he goes into, but you're going to receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the earth. That's, that's what he said. And so when you look at this scripture, I find it very interesting that the disciples asked a question about prophecy and his return. And he answered the question by saying, it really is none of your business. What I want you to be concerned about is my mission. Tell people about me. Now, again, I'm not opposed to people teaching, and I'm not opposed to you studying. I, I think you should. I think it makes for a very interesting study. But I think the heart of Jesus is that we tell people about him. Because even Jesus says in Matthew 24, 36, no one knows the day. No one knows the hour. Okay? Let me save you a lot of fruitless speculation. Okay? Nobody knows. And so if, if somebody ever says it's going to be on this day, well, that's one day you can relax. <laughs> okay? <laughs> 
<laughs> unless they just got lucky, okay? But, but this is what we do know will happen first in Matthew 24, verse 14. I love this. In fact, let's read this together, Matthew 24, 14. The good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the world so that all nations will hear it, and then finally the end will come, Matthew 24, 14. By the way, uh, that's the passcode on my iPad. 2414. You've ever seen Scott come up here and punch in little numbers? Okay, that's 2414. It's the only past time I use this passcode, so you're not going to get into any of my other stuff. And, and I, I trust all of you here that you're not going to come up here and mess with my stuff, but that's the passcode that's in here. I use this to preach, and I, years ago I established, ah, this message is going to be preached at the end of the age and then to the end of the world, and then Jesus is going to come. So that's my passcode. Just a little insight, knowledge. Don't mess with my stuff. Okay, if anybody does, I'm going to have to change the passcode to, to something that says you're all a bunch of liars and, <laughs> and dishonest people. Okay, and so he says to, to, to circle that word nation, circle the word nations, because what that means is people groups. It's, it's every nation, every, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, okay? And what that means is just that, every tribe, tongue, and nation. There's a lot of people groups. There's lots of languages out there, thousands of them. In the Los Angeles area alone, there's like uh, almost 200. Uh, just in this state and in this city, there are many which we'll reference that next week. So to come back to the question, why globally? Why do we go globally? The simple answer is because Jesus said to. That's why. Going back to, to Acts chapter 1, you'll receive power and you're going to be my witnesses. And you notice he says here, in Jerusalem. Where is your Jerusalem? What did he mean by that? What does that mean for you and me today? What is your Jerusalem? I think what Jesus was saying to the disciples, and I think what he's saying to us, start where you are. Just start where you are. And, and so you go to those people who are closest to you relationally. The people who are closest to you, your Jerusalem, are the people living under your roof, the people in your family, the people in your spheres of influence. That's your Jerusalem. Those are people who are living closest to you. You don't have to go to Japan to be a witness. It probably can start in your own family and should start there, Jerusalem. And then he says, go to Judea. Who are these people? These are people closest to me geographically. Judea would have been in relation to Jerusalem like another county, another city. And, and so I want you to go there. What I find interesting, what I like about Abundant Life Church is we didn't start in Jerusalem. You know where we started? We started in Damascus. Okay, that's biblical, okay? And, and, so, and so we almost had Jerusalem, but, but, we, but we started with where we are, okay? Right here in Damascus, in Happy Valley. And then a few years later, we, we kind of jumped over into another little town called Sandy. And then uh, just not too long ago, we jumped across the river over into Vancouver. And we'll probably go other places. Okay, I'm not gonna try to speculate at this point where that's gonna be. But geographically, the, the people closest to me geographically, Samaria. Who are these people? These are people who are different from me culturally, okay? The Samaritans were different from the Jewish people ethnically and culturally, but they lived close by. And so what I think Jesus is saying here for you and me is we need to go to people who are different from us culturally, but they're still close to us geographically. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know someone, somebody's in your sphere of influence who speaks a different language than you do? 
okay? And some of you might be sitting by somebody right now. We, we just had a new Asian restaurant, faux something or another, to, to, to open up over here. And I've already learned the names of half of the people in there. I've, I've become friends with the owner already because I'm trying to get free food. No, but, no, seriously. I just, I just wanted to, to meet the guy. He knows I'm the pastor at Abundant Life Church. And just the other day I was in there. He just stopped me. He says, Pastor, I just want to thank you for your support of our restaurant. I've not mentioned the name Jesus to him. He knows what I do. And I, at this point, I don't know where he is in his faith. But I've had several kind of faith conversations with several of the people in there already. The point being, you don't have to go far. You don't have to go far. And then to the ends of the earth, and what does that mean? Well, that's people as far away as we can go. That's why you see we, we all the way over in Indonesia and, and, uh, and, and Japan. And that's why, because Jesus says to go to the ends of the earth. Now, how can you be involved in this mission? How can you be a part of what God's doing. Well, Pastor Greg's going to come and he's going to share with us the answer to that question. Would you welcome Pastor Greg as he comes? Good job, George. I heard about a missionary who was teaching and uh, he was being translated and he was uh, saying that the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Unfortunately, it came out translated as the meat is bad but the liquor is good. This cross-cultural thing can be really challenging at best, so why go to all the bother? Well, here's the reason. I understand that there are approximately 8 million people who live in northern Yemen. Now, that's, about, that's more than twice the population of the state of Oregon, 8 million people. Guess how many believers are among that 8 million? Best guesses are between 20 and 30, and that's a problem. In fact, uh, there are life groups at Abundant Life that have more believers than in all of northern Yemen. But they're among the more than 2 billion people worldwide who are classified as unreached, meaning that they don't have any access to the gospel. See, unreached doesn't just mean lost. I hear, I hear people say, well, there are lost people right around us, and that's true, meaning unsaved people. But that's not what unreached means. Unreached means someone who is lost and doesn't have access to the gospel by which he can be found. There's no Christian, there's no Bible, there's no, there's no church. It means that if you live in an unreached people group, you'll be born, you'll live, and you will die without ever hearing the gospel that we celebrate every Sunday. And so how are we going to, what are we going to do? What's the, George has talked about what the mission is. How are we going to go about the mission? Well, three things. And the first one is this. It is prayer. To pray. That's where we begin. Billy Graham said that the three most important components when it comes to evangelism are prayer, prayer, and prayer. Because that's what moves the hand of God, and that's where the power is. There are 2 billion people in 6,000 people groups for whom, that, that are unreached right now around the planet. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, God isn't late with his promise as some measure lateness. He is restraining himself on account of you holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. Now, the way I read that is the primary reason why Jesus has delayed his return is because God doesn't want anybody lost. That's it. That's the only thing that's delaying the return of Jesus. God's heart is that no one perish, but everyone experience the opportunity to receive Jesus. George Eldon Ladd said, Christ has not yet come, therefore our work is unfinished. Let us get busy and complete our mission. 
pray for God's kingdom to come. His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Luke 2, verse 10, Jesus said this to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And circle that phrase, ask the Lord of the harvest. Because Jesus acknowledges that in fulfilling this mission, there will be scarcity. But it's not the scarcity that I would have expected. Based on my experience here in the U.S., I would have thought the scarcity would have to do with the number of people who are actually interested in hearing the gospel. Oh, that's going to be pretty meager. When I was a youth pastor, I would take my youth group to work in orphanages in Mexico, and we'd pass out tracts and gospel literature in villages, and we'd be swamped and overwhelmed with children and adults both that wanted this Christian literature. You know, I've never had that experience in the U.S. of distributing gospel literature and getting swamped with people wanting it. But see, Jesus says, it's not that people are uninterested. He says quite the opposite. The harvest is plentiful. The scarcity is in people willing to go and tell people about Jesus. That's the scarcity. And that's always been true historically. It's true in Jesus' day. It's true in our day as well. So that's the place to begin to pray. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send people. Number two is give. Christians in North America give on the average of 2.5% of their income to the local church. 2.5% is typical. And churches in North America give on the average of 2% of their income to fund missions overseas. So that means for every $100 that a believer in North America earns, five cents gets through the local church to the rest of the world. In the book, When Helping Hurts the Poor, the authors write this, by any measure, we are the richest people to ever walk on the planet. Now, the question is, why? Why are we the wealthiest people to have ever walked on the planet? Why has God given us and our churches so much? Well, the answer is Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your ways may be known among all the nations. See, God has blessed us for one reason. You know what that is? Hint, it's not about living a life of self-absorption and consumption. God has given us wealth in the world for his worship in the world. Don't miss the point of why God has blessed us as a people. We are blessed to be a blessing. My wife and I recently visited our missionaries in Cambodia, Jeff and Shani Rasmussen. We went this past June and One Sunday afternoon, we visited an impoverished village, and several students in the high school youth group took me door-to-door witnessing in this village. The country is 98% Buddhist, and I didn't know a lick about Buddhism. But what these amazing high school students did was they engaged their neighbors in asking questions about Buddhism, and they would have me share my testimony, and then they'd translate. But I was struck by two things as I heard neighbor after neighbor sharing. They all said the same thing. Number one is they, are, they live in abject terror of being cursed by their ancestors. That virtually is endemic in, in Cambodia. And then number two, total hopelessness about ever being good enough to get to heaven. And see, just by asking questions, these, these youth are able then to elicit interest in the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's where Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Well, then number three is go. A verse that Pastor George referenced earlier, Matthew 28, verse 19, gives us the marching orders. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
When I was asked to take over, oversee responsibility for missions a couple years ago, I knew a couple things. I knew, first of all, that the way to get a church excited about missions is to emphasize short-term mission trips because there's nothing like experiencing what happens when God uses us in a cross-cultural setting. And uh, number two, the most effective way to recruit long-term missionaries is through short-term missions. There's not, there's not a close n- second. This, this coming year, in 2015, we're on track to send 175 people around the world on short-term mission trips. And some, and I'm convinced in a church this size that God is calling some to long-term missions. But God is so creative, and I've noticed this, because some will be traditional missionaries, but there are business as mission opportunities, teaching English in schools and in places that are closed to the gospel. There are so many people here with gifts of medical skills or construction experience, sports ministry, education, all sorts of things to offer fanning out among the nations for the gospel. And people say, well, aren't there local Christians who can do that better than us? Why don't we send money and let the locals do it? But see, that's the point. Among unreached peoples, there are no locals. That's what it means to be unreached. They don't have local Christians. They don't have local churches. Now, unreached people are unreached for a reason. They're difficult and they're dangerous. See, Jesus doesn't promise us safety and comfort and convenience and security. Quite the opposite. Jesus said to his disciples, I am sending you as sheep among wolves. Now, that's crazy. In the history of the world, no sheep has ever won a fight with a wolf. But see, we have the good shepherd as our protector. And he's got the firepower to protect us. See, when we go, nothing can happen to us apart from the will of a good and gracious God. Nothing. Joseph Sohn was a missionary in Romania during the communist oppression there. He recounts that he was imprisoned and beaten for his faith. On one occasion, he told the guards that were beating him, you will only do to me what God wants you to do, and you'll not go one inch further because you are only an instrument of my Lord. Well, this kind of caused him to take a step back a little bit. But he said, every day I saw those six pompous men as nothing more than my father's puppets. He said at one point a guard threatened to kill him. He said, sir, let me tell you how I see this issue. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Here's how it works. You know that my sermons and tapes have spread all over the country. If you kill me, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know I died for my preaching. And everyone who has a tape will pick it up and say, I better listen again to this man because he really meant it. He sealed it with his life. So, sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder than before. I will actually rejoice in this supreme victory if you kill me. After this, the interrogators sent me home. He said later on, an officer who was interrogating another pastor told him, we know that Mr. So-on would love to be a martyr, but we're not that foolish to fulfill his wish. And he said, this is the takeaway that he experienced. He said that for many years, he'd been afraid of dying and had kept a low profile. He had wanted so badly to live that he wasted his life in inactivity. He said, but when I placed my life on the altar, I was ready to die for the gospel. But now they were telling me they would not kill me. I could go wherever I wanted in the country and preach whatever I wanted, knowing I was safe. As long as I tried to save my life, I was losing it. Now that I was willing to lose it, I found it. 
See, the design of God is such that when the gospel is spread, it's going to require sacrifice and suffering. It's been true from the beginning. In the book of Acts, the church was a little bit stalled out in, in Jerusalem. Everybody was enjoying the, the miracles and the fellowship. How did the church spread to Judea and Samaria, the next steps? If you read, if you read carefully, it's through the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. See, God used persecution to scatter the church. Satan's attempts to stop the church actually served to spread the gospel. How awesome and how amazing is that? That God actually uses obstacles to advance the kingdom. Well, how can we participate in what God is doing around the world? It begins with prayer, to pray. Pray for the persecuted church, for our brothers and sisters who are suffering for their faith. And you know what their number one prayer request consistently is? It's not that God would remove the persecution. It is that they would stand fast and firm in the midst of persecution. Pray for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted for their faith. Pray for the hearts of unreached people, but especially pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. Second, give. And there are more needs out there than we'll ever be able to meet. So how do we decide what we give and support? At Abundant Life, we've established five initiatives that I think are close to the heart of God that we want to be a part of. First is church planting, which has to do with leadership, training of nationals to reach nationals, and discipleship. Second is orphans and, men and children. That's, that's close to the heart of God as well. Third would be community development, poverty and hunger alleviation. Again, God has a heart for the poor. Fourth is compassion ministry, social justice, anti-human trafficking. And then number five is care and support of existing missionaries. That, those are the priorities. Those are initiatives that we want to rally behind and support with our money. But then thirdly is to go. In the New Testament, we see a couple different types of people. We see Paul, who was commissioned to go and reach unreached people groups. But then his protege, Timothy, was actually called to stay and serve in a local church to equip others to go. So here's the reality. Whether you're a Paul or a Timothy, God still has you as part of the mission. You're either, either a goer or a sender. You either go or you help somebody else go and send them. Not everybody is called to go, but we all are called to participate in what God is doing around the planet. The kingdom of God begins, though, with you. Jesus said the kingdom is inside of you. It begins right here in the human heart. It's a spiritual kingdom, and the message of the gospel is this. Jesus is alive. And when we take Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that's the beginning of the kingdom of God in our lives. But it's not meant to stop with us. It's meant then to permeate into and impact the entire world. And if you've never made Jesus your Lord, you can do that right now. And you can be a part of what God is doing in the planet, restoring all things to himself. If you'd like to pray that prayer, we're going to do that right now. And I ask you that you pray out loud. And if you have prayed, if you have made Jesus your Lord, I'm going to ask that you also pray out loud to encourage those who might be praying for the first time. Will you join me as we close in prayer. God, I confess that Jesus is Lord and that you raised him from the dead. I surrender my life to you. Come in and take control. Thank you for forgiveness and new life. In Jesus' name, amen.